Here's our panel. So we have Grandma Edna, real Grandma Edna in the middle, who you already met sort of in the movie. We have J.C. Falk uh, on the far end over this way, who lives in Greenmount West, who's renovating a house in Greenmount West and is community involved in the community and is working on race relations. And then we have Dee Watkins, who is a professor and writer and has published in places like Slade and New York Times and has been commenting on Baltimore for a while now. How long, Dave? Like 32 Imagine. years. How many? Like 32 years. Okay, very good. <laughs> I like that answer. So, does someone have a question or comment? Yeah. Come on down. I'll meet you halfway. question is um, I feel like we're preaching to the choir in here I think you know everybody here who who's sitting here just watched this they already probably knew they might not have known all the policies and all the uh, the lingo and the jargon regarding um, the situation here in Baltimore and all these different places but I'm trying to figure out like why isn't this being played in Westminster and, and Towson where the people that, you know, skip their way into the hood and gentrify it need to hear this beforehand. Like, I came here um, to support a friend, but I'm going to be happy when I see white people watching, marching through the streets of Montgomery County instead of coming to march down here when we're having a protest because your people are the ones who need to get it. And that's the same for, you know, uh, Oreo black people. You need to be marching through the streets of Montgomery County to those people who don't get it. So I'm just trying to figure out like forums like this. Why do we have this conversation when everybody here pretty much gets it? Shall I respond to that or anybody on the stage? Well, you know what? I'm going to take the first shot at that. Um, I hear, you, I hear your conversation really clear, and I joined, the pro, I joined this process because of your conversation. All people, I'm going to say black people, I don't do a race thing, and I think to solve, <clears throat> to solve the diplomacy of any problems in society, if you start out with the race card, you're starting out at the brick wall. Because really, to me, in this country, it's a land and a justice issue which, create, which creates the economic reverie that affects all of us. So I joined this project because I live in Mount Vernon, which is five blocks from the train station. And I work in all the communities, and I like that word you use, because this is one of my battles. Our people, I'm going to say black people in general, because that's my bloodline. We need to reinvest in re-education, re-educating our communities. We need to redirect that word, that these languages that we use, all in written, like you said, the hood. 
why would you take a powerful word like neighborhood? Why do we do that? Why do we take a powerful word like neighborhood, throw the good word in the trash, neighbors, throw it away, and then address our children and tell them they live in the hood, which is a misrepresentation of a good word because it covers the body and keep you warm. This is why we're here today. We're here because I, I invited a lot of my friends because my friends, my people are segregating us. We're segregating us. If you don't come out, you don't, uh, you don't attack the issue until there's a problem, and then you start blaming everybody else and say, why they not doing it? Why they not doing it? How about how come you're not doing it? We need to address issues directly that affect. I live in a neighborhood that needs to have things fixed. I don't say I'm a black person living in a neighborhood and they fix that. No, you know what? You know what? We are never going to stand on our feet comparing ourselves to someone else. I want to ask everyone in this room that's African-American, when the movie started, I take real good notes. This is what I teach. I don't want to take your time, but I want to set this up right. I'm going to challenge every African-American in the room. When the movie started and they showed the funders on the screen, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Now, I'm going to throw a question out. You, you hold on to your question because I'm, I'm giving it to you. What was the first thing that came to your mind? You don't know, do you? You know why? Because Gold Seeker was one of the funders for this project. You read it, right? But because we don't educate our communities, Gold Seeker was one of the most vicious, vacant, hostile landlords to African Americans in Baltimore City. This is called history here, y'all. If you're going to throw a rock, know where you want the rock to go. Know where you're throwing the rock. Because I see people for their action. Because everyone that look like us is not in communication as us. So I'm telling everybody in this room, gentrification is a social issue that displaces people under that revitalization industrial machinery. It's like a big truck coming down the street. And if you don't run, that 18 wheeler will roll right over top of you. So. And I, I want to add. I want to. I want to add to. Um, I think part of the reason why we have to continue talking to the choir is because the the choir is asleep right now. We need to wake the choir up, get the choir engaged, and get the choir singing again because we don't have enough voices out here to change the dynamic that's happening in these communities. Like um, you were talking about in the in the piece about. We, if, if something's happening in your community, you just need to understand that it's happening. But you can't wait until the truck shows up. You need to know the, the driver's name. You need to know who created that. Right now, because the choir is asleep, we're, what wakes the choir up is the noise of the truck coming through the neighborhood. And so we have to get ourselves engaged. And I do understand where your question is coming from. But the problem is, if we, if we attack this problem 
um, going after people who want to gentrify the community, that's not where it's going to change. Where we need to do is build the group of people who are going to counter that. And the way we do that is we talk to the choir, and we have the choir to invite other people to be, become a part of the choir. I think also, um, which was a great question, and I think um, one thing that we all need to pay attention to or realize is that we have different roles. So um, I have, like, my attention span is extremely short, and I hate stating the obvious. So my job isn't to preach to the choir, but that's somebody else's job. We need someone to maybe you know, light a spark with the choir or with, like, community members or like-minded people. My job is to, you know, try to think about how can we handle some of these bigger systemic issues. That's, what I, that's the challenge that I like. So, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not just one way of handling these issues. We have to attack them from uh, multiple, multiple levels. Some of us write, some of us sing and dance, some of us march, and some of us burn things down. But, you know, we're all equally important. I heard what you said, and uh, I've tried to show this movie in several places that haven't been interested in showing this movie, but that's not going to stop me from trying to show this movie in different places. And if you have any ideas about that, or anyone else has any ideas about that, please contact me so we can... And I, and I agree in the sense of we all have different roles to play, and we need to as the movie tries to attempt to talk about, is that we need to have these kinds of conversations where that conflict can be talked about and we can generate new ideas and new ways of thinking about how we can come together, be a part of the choir or not, and if we have the same desires. I desire revitalization without gentrification. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't? So that's nice to know. I desire that there be revitalization without gentrification. So we all agree on that, but I'm sure we disagree on a lot of things, and maybe we can talk about some of those things today too. Yes, ma'am. In the African tradition, before I say anything, I would like to ask my dear mama, if I have the permission to speak. Thank you. Um, I don't know a whole lot about what gentrification, I do know what gentrification is. Revitalization, to me, they resemble almost the same thing. They really do. Um, I came to the library a little bit early because I wanted to have a little bit of knowledge before I even stood and asked permission of my mom there. But I was looking over a book by Dorothy Pittman Hughes. And her title is, I'm just saying it looks like Ethnic Cleansing, the, Re the Gentrification of Harlem. And in that, all of us who know the history of Harlem know that Harlem had a rich history. When I was in, um, when I was in 1979, when I went to, it was called the Baltimore City Community College. Now it's BCCC. They changed the name. I wrote an extensive paper on Harlem and the richness thereof within Harlem. 
That paper never came back to me. I asked the professor, asked the professor, where is my paper? I, I don't know, I, I lost it. But I do believe that professor used my information in something she put together, could never prove it. But when uh, Dorothy Pittman Hughes talks about re uh, gentrification, she says Harlem has long been viewed as the cultural capital of African Americans. She went on to say that other communities in other parts of the United States both love, envy, and fear Harlem. And that's just what I, that's all I have to say. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna really stay focused in education because I run in and out of school systems all over the city. I travel, and the biggest problem in all our communities is the miseducation of the citizens. Um, I think life is like a business project, you know. I do fair business project. I say, if you want my money, then you should make my money worth me giving it to you because you're taking my money for what you think you're worth to be giving me. So it's like the African product called bothering. You know, you want to buy something, and you all go back and forth till you both get a, a pretty good comparable price, and then it's a done deal. Well, that's how we're living. We're bothering in this country. We're bothering in the neighborhoods. Um, you go into a neighborhood, like I took Judy and them into, and they call this Green Mount West. I'm amazed at why they're calling the Green Mount West. Okay, so we're gonna leave it right at Green Mount West. But this, this is okay. You go into that neighborhood, it's full of African-Americans, black people, families in homes, children running down tight streets, older women cleaning up the block, sweeping up, cleaning their alleys up. Yeah, they are. But when you see it on TV, they show it like a gun banger, revitalize, shoot me up, Sally type of fact. But in reality, you know what happens? It's about economics and money. Unification is economics. If you if you stand in here and I look at this gentleman's shirt, and that shirt looks like it's worth a million dollars in collectible shirt, and he wearing it like he don't want it, and then he take it off and hold it up and I'll say, Are you selling that? Oh, yeah, I'm selling it. How much you want for it? Do you think I'm going to say, well, I'll give you a million dollars? And I already know it's worth a million dollars. So we are all living in communities that's worth billions of dollars. The realtors who come into our neighborhoods know our community is worth billions of dollars. Africa is a prime example. Do you give the people fairly what that land is worth? Or do you say, oh, they don't even know what their land is worth, so I'm just going to throw them a little something, something, and I'm going to take their land, because that's what's going on around the world. It's not right. Gentrification is a process that you need to improve a neighborhood, to come in, get rid of the board of builders, invest in the community. Investment has never meant taking people out of their homes and trashing them somewhere else and bringing back the good ones that you can control 
and let them come back. I, I'm, 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 I'm loving this film. I'm loving it because it really brings out this young man wrote an article that y'all really should try to get where he sits in a restaurant in Hampton and be interviewed by business guys who's talking to him like he's not a black guy because because he's interviewing them. So they take him out of his level of who he is and put him with them, but he's seeing them straight at who they are. So this is what we need to realize. When you're talking about going in someone's neighborhood and changing it, meet with the people in the neighborhood. Ask them how much change do they want? What do they want to see? How can they help make the change happen? Then gentrification is going to work. But if you're just going there with a bulldozer and start ripping people up and throwing them like paper, it's, it's not going to it's not going to work. Okay. It's really easy to um, to not want to revitalize or invest in a neighborhood, especially a high crime area, because trying to invest in it in a positive way is like you taking responsibility for all the problems you help cause. You know, just, let's, let's be real. Just like the guy said in the film, people want to work. People want jobs. People don't want to commit crimes. People don't want to live in horrible places. But you have these systemic racism, these, these systemic racist infrastructures that are, have been created hundreds of years before all of, we, before all of us were born, and they're still in place today. So, you know, I always think about the sick mentality behind some type of corporation who will feel good about destroying a neighborhood or who will feel good about not recognizing social fabric. You know, people in this country really, really think that if a place is a housing project or if a place is a low-income neighborhood or if a neighborhood doesn't have a lot of homeowners, that there's no social fabric. There's no, um, uh, Grandma Etna, can you watch my kids? I got a job interview. Um, Joey, can you, uh, you know, can I hold $20? I get my first paycheck on Friday. You know, all of these different things that exist within communities to help each other, you know, strive and, and, and thrive and survive. So, you know, the bigger issue is how do we, how do we kill that mentality that, that allows people to not see value in people who don't own homes? How do we kill the mentality of the people who... Look at, look at minorities and look at poor people and don't recognize or acknowledge the social fabric that exists within those communities. And to add on to that, how do we not be invisible? Or how is it that... Why people- is it 2015 and we still have to ask why aren't we invisible? <laughs> you know, so these are the issues. I know. These are the issues. I've... JC... It's, it's interesting because gentrification, looking, even looking at this subject, it, it, it requires us to handle things that we have not been good at handling up to now. Like to, to look at gentrification, you have to look race square in the face. You have to look at classism square in the face. You have to look at multiple things that we are not good at looking at already. So gentrification has a whole bunch of stuff wrapped up in it. It's, it's interesting being in the neighborhood that I'm in. I've been in the neighborhood. I started working on my house about two and a half years ago. In my neighborhood, I finished it up about six months ago. Well, kind of finished it up. And, 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 um, and it's, it's interesting in the neighborhood right now, in the neighborhood, it's, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I would guess it's somewhere around 85 to 90 percent African-American. We have seven board members in our community association, and six of them are white. Six of the seven. 
Which, and, and what they get, and, and not only are they white, but they invite each other in to these board seats. And, and it's, it's real interesting to watch it, and then they get information that other people in the community don't get. So they wind up actually calling the truck in. They wind up calling the truck in, and then the community gets sideswiped, and they don't know what's happening. So, so it happens in all of these neighborhoods, and it's a, it's a condition of how we live in the communities. And then when people come, they say, oh, black folks don't come. They don't come to be voted in. They don't come to put their voice in. But when they come to put their voice in, they get squashed. They get pushed back. They get a whole lot of, uh, and, and people don't, um, they wind up, they, they, um, they give up on continuing to push against a board that has some power to think they're actually more powerful than they are. But they're, they're there as a body, and if you're one person and you come and confront that, that board of seven people and then you get squashed, you don't want to continue to do that. So, so there's some kind of way we have to create an ability for people to have their voices in those rooms and have these boards and have these organizations recognizing that what they're there for is for those people in the community and not for their own private concerns. Yes. to make complaints about the zoning of the property. I don't know the name of the group or the organization. But anyway, we went to the zoning, zoning board. We went to the zoning board, and they had already made decisions about what was going to happen before we were even allowed to give our opinion. So it's not just the boards of your community. It's the city that we're working with, and we have to fight it. Exactly. It's, the, it's the words. It's language. Let me, it's language. When you tell a community, you know the law said that any voted occurrences in the community have to be posted. And that's right, and they do post them. But do they put a sign up in your neighborhood to say, this is a, a public meeting, they call it a charrette. Is that what they call it, Judy? So how many people in the room know what a charrette is? So you walk down the street, you see a sign, say, we're having a public charrette at 9 o'clock in the evening. You think they're talking about some type of function. But they're talking about your livelihood. But according to the law, they have publicly notified you of that community meeting on a level that's above your head, so you don't understand what the word means, so you don't come out to the community meeting, and then when you do, when it does trickle down to you, like the lady said, the deal is already done. So we have to reprocess ourselves and learn. We need to hold community workshops and learn key words, redirecting our language. We need to have people translate. I'm going to use this word a lot as long as I'm up here. We're going to learn that even like this young man feels a poor family with no identity, no identity, he is still a business person in the world because guess what? If you have a dollar and you walk in the store and you spend it, you are a business person. You are, nego you are negotiating the price of a loaf of bread. So I'm telling you now, we need to be teaching inside communities power words. They're called power words, words that break you 
or make you. You need to be asking the city, City Hall, could you stop using charrette because people don't know what it means. Could you stop having these educational meetings and using big words that parents don't know how to mean, what it means? It's insulting, and when people are insulted, they get shamed. They don't want you to know because they feel like it's their fault that they don't know. Ignorance sometimes is created by the higher power. So, gentrification, I'm going to say it and say it, is good as long as the community of citizens in the neighborhood is controlling the revitalization process. Like Dr. Scott said on that film, I wanted, I wanted y'all to really be watching. You got to watch everything. You got to watch. It's like editing things. He said he did what? He went to the neighborhood association. Then he went to the community. Then he went to the developers. But did he say he went back to the neighborhood association? No, he didn't. He said he went back to the community. That's the key. All the processes has got to go back to each and every individual that live in these houses, then you need to take it as a conglomerate okay. to your association and say, this is what we want you to represent for us. Okay, before we go to another comment here, I want to stay with this a little bit. Yes. And I, I want to ask Dee and JC if they want to respond to what's being said at the moment. This one piece that I want to do, that we use the word the words gentrification and revitalization, we kind of interchangeably use those words, and I want to unclasp those words. Thank you. To, 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 to put an extremely negative label on gentrification yes. and to put a positive, potentially um, label on revitalization, depending upon how revitalization is done. So gentrification for me is, it really is when you move into, when people come into the community who have resources that people in the community don't have, and they come in and they just do whatever the hell they want to do. And they displace people, and they call police on people, and they just treat them like they're not important. When people have been living in these communities for generations. When I moved into the Station North, I'm not from Baltimore, from D.C. I've been in Baltimore about six years. And I came up for my daughter to go to the Baltimore School for the Arts. When I moved into my community, I felt like I was gentrifying the community because I'm not from Baltimore. I moved into a community of people who had been there forever. The way that I now, I, I, I don't see myself as gentrifying the community anymore because I'm doing stuff like this, because I'm calling it out, because I'm, I'm doing things to, to help the community and become a part of the community to call out things that are wrong. The, and the in other Station thing North... There's a ton of things that are going wrong right now with people in Station North. Like, it, it, it is, um, and, I, and I don't mean that in any small way. I mean people's lives are put at, at stake in Station North, and I'll tell you how. We have, if, like smoking weed. Folks, I got no problem telling you I've smoked weed in my life, and I bet you the vast majority of you have smoked weed at some point in your life. And, and some of you may not be willing to raise your hand and say that you have, right? But uh, most of us, I'm not going to call the police on some kid smoking a joint on the block. I'm not going to do it, especially when the p police are killing people like Freddie Gray. I'm not having it. I'm not going to do that. If somebody's dangerous, then I will call the police. But if it's some small, innocuous thing, I'm not going to put people's lives in jeopardy 
for some little tiny little thing, and they shouldn't even be going to jail for the little tiny little things that they're going to jail for in the first place. So no, I'm not going to become a part of a systemic structure that subjugates people in these communities. They're already going through enough. So what I'm, what uh, for me, if we, we have to, the gentrification piece, what comes along with gentrification is pain and destruction in these communities, and I cannot, um, I cannot use that term and feel good about myself using that term when I see the impact that it's having on people in these communities. I think a point that you left out that I see you doing, and that maybe you don't see you doing in this process, is that it's not just you're not going to call, but you're going to say to those who want to call, I'm not going to call, and I don't think it's right that you. So we begin to have maybe partly what Dee's talking about and begin to talk with each other about the conflicts we have with each other and maybe then we can begin to to see things differently. I think we have to look at some of these issues from the perspective of um, you know their origin and where they come from because a lot of people you know we, we speak with passion and rage and anger as if um, you know we all agree that you know the system doesn't work and the system's broke, the system's broke, the system's broke, but the system is actually working perfectly for the people who created it. Right. It's a system that that allows oppressed people or that almost guarantees no social mobility and that people who come and live in certain situations will never have an opportunity to advance. So even if um, if you live below a certain tax bracket and you own your home, you still might not be able to keep it. If they want to take it, they can take it. So, you know, we have, to, um, we have to first acknowledge that there's a lot of people who benefit from all of these things. And if we don't really think about how to crush their mentality, then we'll never see any change. I'm willing, you know, I can sit here and honestly, honestly say that the change that I would like to see in a lot of these different systemic issues, you know, and, and I work really hard to do my part to try to change them, but I know I won't see it in my lifetime. The key is, is how active are we going to be now in setting it up for the next generation so they don't have to go through some of the same things that we're going through? That's, that, that's the key because, you know, right now it, 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 we should be urgent and we should be proactive and we should be moving and doing everything in our power to make a difference. But, um, you know, these things have been in place for hundreds of years. And, and uh, you know, uh, we, 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 and it's going to take a lot to change. Okay, so let's get some comments from a, the audience. He's been holding his hand up this back This gentleman has been next for a while. Okay. Right here. Well, I, I, hi. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I've made myself a community broker. Uh, my name is Ray Baylor. But I, I caution that It shouldn't be a race thing, you know, because I don't believe in that. I think that's just kind of a falsehood, and that's a way of keeping us kind of in these boxes. But what I would say is that in this city, there is this capability to have a comparison at the time in which this thing is going on. And I think there are a couple of them, like what's going on down there in, in Little Italy and what's going on in Hamden. As people have become uh, uh, almost like place makers. You, know, you, you take a place and, you, and you, you kind of stay there for a little bit, and then when the 
wealth wants it, they can take it back. You know. And but it doesn't matter what, 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 what kind of shade you are, if they want it, they've got they put it in the law in it's, it's, it's in the law that if they want it for economic reasons, they can take it. Now, on a converse, if one were to look at what is health as they've def defined it by the World Health Organization and CDC, it gets into homostasis and the ability to have Good health, economics, a social state of being, a good house, you know, these things that we kind of take for granted. But that equals health. So I think we should be on the human level here, you know, that all human beings need this. In a place like Baltimore, I just want to digress real quick, and because I, I see here a uh, dynamic in terms of where poor people are, you need numbers. And where folks are of wealth, they don't need too many numbers. So if you were engaged, be engaged. And don't worry about how many people in your neighborhood ain't doing what you're doing. And go to places where you're not necessarily invited and say what it is you say here. So you can get it out there. So I, 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 what the brother is saying, let's go to Montgomery County. Just go and say what is saying here. Say it there, so they can hear it. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, it, it's in my neighborhood recently. Another failed structure. Two Sundays ago, when they had that windstorm, the top of a building that used to be a, um, a corner store, but it was actually where people got fresh food from, blew off and went down to the sidewalk. Unfortunately, nobody was walking by. And then the city came in rapidly and raised that building. And when I saw what they did, the way they did it, I walked up and said, wait a minute, hold on to the contract. Where's your screen? Human beings live here. You know, you're scraping off of this building lead. And all you need is five microns. Does anybody know how small that is? You can't even see it with your naked eye. And I see babies in carriages rolling down the street because their moms and folks don't know what it means to be contaminated. But the city knows because they paid a lot of money out, right? They paid a lot of our money out on people who got contaminated, all right? So I'm just saying that to say that as one person, you can make the difference, you know? And, and, and this whole thing about the charrettes, it's a charade on us. Because they want to bring numbers in. They want to hear what it is that you're saying. I had a federal judge tell me that when they get through with the charades and they, they take it back, they shred it. All right. So they want to do what they want to do. But what, what it is that I think that we're saying here about this gentrification, 
I, I did a little film too, a little thing that I had to get some cathodics out of me. I come from Annapolis like that brother come from D.C. And I settled here in Baltimore. And we don't have to run to Harlem. You understand? Because Baltimore has some expiring, expiring uh, 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 energy that, that, that rotated the planet and continued to do it, right? So the, the energy is here, you know, and the people are here, and there's a lot here that, 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 that we, we need to kind of revitalize. Yeah. And, there's, there's and that's a, the spirit, the soul. We, I, I, I didn't hear this there's, yet. There's a, there's, a, there's a piece to what I want to, first, a lot of the stuff that you're saying is really good stuff, and you said something about the race piece that I would like to comment, comment on, and I wanted to know if there's a, underneath that, because there's a lot of good stuff in that, is there a question underneath all of that that you want to ask? And before you answer that, because okay. this brother very eloquently touched on what I wanted to speak about, but I, want, I did want to kind of pose a question. Uh, first, one brief observation. In your film, you mentioned four elements, which are housing, access, decent housing. In all cases, I'm talking about access to decent housing, decent employment, decent education, Decent health care, meaning both the physical and the mental, which he touched on. And I just want to, this is an observation. If you remember the Kerner Commission, it said when those pathologies are in place, the conflagration is usually sparked by a violent confrontation between members of those community and the police. That was an observation from the 60s. 1968 was when that Kerner Commission report was released. Are there parallels that you see to it? The other thing I want to do is to follow up on, his, on, on the statement he made and that this brother observed here is, are there models that you folks that work in this can point to in which communities like Little Italy and Hamden, which you referred to, West Baltimore, Sandtown, which is... Those communities, all their models where you can show reaching out, as Imam Mary Baraka pointed out in Blues People, and you said earlier, this has been going for hundreds of years. If you can unite poor working class whites with poor working class blacks, then you can come reach a critical mass to affect change of that small percent that used to be referred to as the merchant class and landowner class, which is now the financial class and the manufacturing class. So can you, the question is, what models are there? Who, what organizations are there? How can people like that come together rather than being diverted, confused, and otherwise the obfuscation of saying it's about race and keeping black against white? Well, thank you. Hold on. I want to say something here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, there, there are lots of models. Uh, Getco is one model. I don't know how functional it is as an organizational model right now, but I do know in the beginning it would be good to look at how that got started, that they brought this. They're their own development corporation. Both yeah. Foundation funded them to become their own development foundation. Mm -hmm. There's land trust movements happening in and around certain cells of Baltimore. And I don't think it needs to be just working middle, working class blacks and whites. I think it can be middle class, working class, because there's a lot, as the woman says, from 
Temple University. There's a lot of people who are middle class people who, black and white, now, you know, because it's black and white, right? We know that too, because, yeah. So, uh, so that's what I wanted to say. And there are other models as well, and I'd love to talk more about that at some point. Pardon me? There's no more. Okay, I hear you. So, can, can I, can I? One second. Um, this gentleman, when we take questions, there's a gentleman here, you had, no, there. And then Ruth is after that gentleman there. And then we're going to get to back there. But okay. first, I'm going to give a chance, and I'd like to keep it to a minute. I am. I am. Each I'm going to get it real quick. If we could. So no. we okay. could. Because we're probably going to get kicked out of here at okay. 4 o'clock, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Ruth, okay, fine. Okay, you want to speak now, or can they res Okay. Let's let Ruth speak now. Go ahead, Ms. Ruth. Go ahead, Ms. Ruth. I'm going to get my elders. I'm going to do that. Come on, Ms. Ruth. Yeah, we got a... Our, please excuse me, I have a voice problem, but elders are very important, and I don't have anything to lose anymore. I get more radical as I So, um, um, with the white board, bring a bunch of black folks to that board meeting. Have a black board group at that white board meeting and speak up. Make your own black board. Mm -hmm. The hell with that. Mm -hmm. Make mm -hmm. your own black mm -hmm. board. What? Interesting. We need, besides the arts district, there needs to be a residence district for North Avenue. There needs a North needs to be a North Avenue residence district, and there ought to be meetings right now on the corner a lot. Does a meeting every week or year until people get organized, until people are listened to because we cannot let there are a lot of people of goodwill white and black and brown who do not like what's happening. I mean, there needs to be grass, grassroots meaning and action and goals. It's not simply going against what's going on. There needs to be positive what do people want to have happen and create the alternatives that are wanted instead of spending energy fighting the arts district, create the alternative. 
create a people's movement. That's beautiful. Thank you. Give them a yeah. I'm glad we didn't wait any longer for that. I'm telling you that. Thank Very you good. for Thank getting you. it out. Thank you. Yeah. Elders speaking. Elders. So the brother that stood up with that nice hat on, um, I'm going to respect everybody's opinion, but I think that when any group of people start identifying themselves to a class system, that makes you, that, that puts anybody, not just you or me or these gentlemen, it puts you in the category with everybody else. I just got this thing where no matter where you place the word, if it's misdirected, it has the same, it has the same effect. And this to my daughter right there. If it's misdirected, it has the same, it has the same effect. So I caution, I caution everybody that this is why I start picking little pieces of the of the film out to see how well we're paying attention. It's it's really imperative that citizens pay attention. Like the word charrette. That's a, that's a word that's a camouflage word to keep you from attending the meetings. Now, half the people in this room might know what it means. But I had a brother tell me what it means. See what I'm saying? So Kevin Brown told us what it meant at our last film showing. And half of the people in the room was pretending they knew what it meant. I don't do that. I don't know what stuff means. I'm saying, excuse me, could you tell me what it means? So I asked and he explained it. So this is the property that we need to get. We have a young professor here. We have, I'm the elder on the table, and we have a, 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 a business realtor educator here. So we're telling y'all that this is the change in this room. We're, we're working on the change right now. And what's so good about it, we're all sitting here taking a piece of the community puzzle. Everybody in this room has a piece of the puzzle. I clearly say this. If you hold it up, it'll match somebody else's piece, and it'll fit. I said years ago about community puzzle. When Freddie Gray was, was finalized, was funeralized, and the art community went to his house, what did they do? They used Grandmother Edna's community puzzle idea to paint on the wall as a mirror to bring consciousness to a what is that word they use? Underserved community, that everybody got it. And this is what we need to do in, in our everyday walk. We need to make sure, Judy, thank you for this film. Thank you for your work. I wrote on Facebook today that Judy has opened up a closed door because people need to get this. I'm sorry, I do not do race. I have a universal family. I'm going to tell you right now, my father is a German Jewish gentleman. My mother is a Hebrew Israelite. I have every race of people in my house that you can have in a global community. I will not put my life's contentions on such a filthy, undescriptive, blood-sucking word as race. I will not do it. 
Because as long as you use race as a de-humilifying diva, give it power, it's going to control things that we don't even need to evolve. Gentrification is a social disgrace. It's a social issue. Revitalization socially is, building, is building something better. But we as community people, we need to get the pieces. Watch this movie. Get it. Take it home with you. Bring groups of people into your house and watch the movie together. Pick out pieces that we missing. Every time I watch this movie, I see something else that I can build on. That's the whole purpose. It's to educate. You're educating this young brother. Educating our community that we got some work to do, y'all. We got some work to do. Okay. Um, thank you, Grandma Edna. JC? Yeah, and there's a, there's a piece, too, um, around the race. I've been doing some conversations around town. Some of them started at my house, and now I'm getting out of my house to do some other stuff publicly. And the, oh, the, the workshops are called Race um, is an Illusion and Racism is Real. Like, race isn't, scientifically right now, it makes no sense for us to separate ourselves into separate racial groups. It just doesn't, folks. Like, scientists, except for quacky scientists, they, there's no one, there's no reputable scientist who says that, it's, it's, it, that we should be divided into separate racial groups. But it doesn't mean that we don't socially separate ourselves into racial groups. Like, it's, it's like, it's like right now, it's kind of like believing in the boogeyman, right? Like, and if you believe in the boogeyman, shit, the boogeyman is for real. Like, if you believe that boogeyman is under your bed, it, it's, you're not going to get down off of the bed and go to the bathroom at night, right? And so, like, it, it's really, like, it, I'm not negating race, race at all because we have to confront race head on. White folks have to get the impact they're having on people in the world. And black folks have to get out the impact that we have colluding with the existence of racism. So across all of that, we have to have the conversations necessary to move ourselves through the systemic structures of racism that are in place right now in this country and around the world. But it doesn't make race real. It makes our socialization around race real. And that's what we have to do. Judy just said it a second ago. If it's social, we can change it. What I'm, what, and the way to change that is to confront it head on and talk about it as if it's something that's really impacting people's lives. I'm, I've been um, well, over... Hold on. I, let's th- stick with this subject mm-hmm. right now because I want to ask Dee, in relation to that, how do, we com- how do we deal with the fact that we're all one race? I mean, you know, anyone in this room, you know, we would have to be almost blind to not see that race plays a major role in all of these issues. Now, the issue is, is how do you take it? So as a black person or, you know, talking to a white person, just because I acknowledge race, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to be divisive or create something divisive. But if we don't acknowledge the role that race plays, we'll never, ever, ever get to the roots of many of these issues. I mean, this what? Um, 80,000 80, displaced black people um, from Baltimore City because of urban renewal and gentrification, 15,000 families. Um, so many black neighborhoods ripped apart. Like, we have to acknowledge race. 
but we have to understand the role that race plays. Just a- acknowledging the role that race plays, it doesn't mean that there weren't white people affected in Locust Point or Hamden. It doesn't mean that there weren't people affected in Little Italy, but we do have to acknowledge the role that race plays if we do want to move forward. We have a president that won't talk about race. He won't talk about race. We have, um, um, we, have, we, have a, we have we have elected officials that we put in office that won't address these issues, and that's why the problems will always go on because we want to give ourselves this illusion of these being problems of the past when they still dictate everything that happens today. I want to stick with this because when I hear what you're saying, I'm not hearing the distinction that JC and I are making in the sense of race. Okay. I understand that we're all one human race. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I get that. That doesn't mean racism doesn't It doesn't exist. mean racism doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that racism isn't a key component in the reason why many of these things happen. I think that a lot of times when, um, when a black person acknowledges race, a lot of white people feel like that's a tool for us to be separate. No, it's not a tool for us to be separate. It's saying, look, this is why some of these things are happening. You know, black people have a history of being commodity in this country. It's not my word. It's in the history books. From the slaves to the present. It's a history. It's embedded. So, you know, if we don't acknowledge these things, we'll never solve these problems. It's like me having a broken arm and walking around saying, well, you know, I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that it's broken three places. I'm just going to let it wiggle until it heals in a deformed way. No, I have to acknowledge that it's broken and I have to do what I have to do to fix it so that it, that it can heal right and that I can, it can get you know, back to functioning the way it's supposed to function. But it's not, you know, when people, we're in a country where people are so scared to talk about race or white privilege or white supremacy. It doesn't mean if you're a white person, you're guilty. It just means, it's just, it's, 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 it's the basis of how this country was established. You know, if you, you know, you want to have a country and you want to have a certain amount of people captured, the easiest way to identify them is to find people who don't look like you capture them, enslave them, and dictate to them. This, this is why America's a superpower. America's a superpower because of slavery. We, gotta under, we have to understand the long-term effects of slavery. We have to understand the effects that racism plays if we ever want to move forward. If not, then we're fooling ourselves. Thank you. But you can't feed into it. This gentleman's next, and then you were on. No, I'm just saying we have to acknowledge it, though. I think you, if I'm not mistaken. And we're going to do people that haven't talked yet before we do people who have talked. Could you, what did you say? <laughs> well, actually, somebody that you said, I mean, I consider myself part of the choir, but every Thanksgiving and Christmas, I uh, definitely talk to people who are not part of the choir. And um, I just... Um, I think a fundamental problem with gentr- uh, is that gentrification is seen as the only tool for revitalization, whereas um, it's really not recognized that um, communities have within them the strength and the assets that they can build on um, to achieve revitalization. And I mean, let's be honest, you know, with just most recently, the uh, foreclosure crisis, they've been actively stripped of the capital they need to have this revitalization. So I think the challenge is um, really to imagine new models for revitalization, seizing upon the assets within the community, the capital within the community, and what capital they lack providing that to them. And 
um, you know, um, and basically just put the capital back in the communities, there's this idea that, you know, you know, maybe this model works for Station North, but there are other models that um, seize upon existing capital within the community to build from within. And, uh, you know, the challenge is getting that on a, re and we need to talk about this on a regional level because, um, you know, that wealth went out to Howard County, it went out to Anne Arundel County, it went out to Baltimore County. Uh, they need to be part of this discussion. We need to connect the, there are families out there who share the same desire for housing, education, um, and um, employment, a better, their own well-being and the well-being of their kids. We need to connect on commonalities, not, not um, but we, we also need to address the fact that capital needs to flow into these communities. Yeah, it, it's interesting too, though, that we, I think we have, and that's absolutely true that we have to bring some of the capital back into the communities, but it's, it's also the people who are in the community right now working with very little capital to, make, capital to make things happen. I'll give you an example. The Freddie Gray mural that's going up right now over close to where Freddie Gray was, was picked up by the police, mm -hmm. that mural is getting put there by one of his best friends. They went out and raised money, their own money, to paint that mural. And so I saw them struggling, trying to get everything together. I went over, talked with them, drove them over to Home Depot, talked with the manager and said, listen, we need stuff. Give us some stuff. They gave us hundreds of dollars worth of supplies for landscaping and all kinds of stuff just because I asked them for it. And so we don't have to wait until the big money truck shows up to make a difference out here. If we just attach ourselves to things that are already functioning in the community, we can make a big difference with very little stuff. The problem becomes when we sit back in the back waiting for the truck to show up with the money. We got to get our butts up out of the seats and get into the game, get in it, and we can, we can make stuff move. And we, we now have three Home Depots on the word of three separate managers at three different locations of Home Depot. They've given us everything that we need, and it was all just going and talking with these guys. That's it. So we can make things happen without waiting for some bureaucracy to, 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 to make things happen. Yeah, it's always beautiful to see people like that respond in tragedy. We also need to figure out how do we get a way to get them to employ a person like Freddie Gray before he dies. You know what I mean? So that's the next step. So now that we see these tragedies, and it's a blessing, I thank God that you did that. The, the mural looks beautiful. But now we have to figure out, you know, because... I, know, I had to go through this whole media cycle of watching all these reverends and all these fake politicians and all these phony people, you know, talk about this young man as if they would say hi to him or give him the time of day when he was alive. If they wasn't trying to handle the systemic issues that would cause a kid like that to be arrested 18 times. Like, seriously, like, why? Can Freddie Gray talk to um, Stephanie Rollins-Blake, um, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, or any of these people when he's alive. No, he'll get brushed off. So these are the things that, these are the problems that, you know, I want us to talk. That's, that's why I always say beyond community. Like, let's address community, but then let's think about the bigger issues beyond community. Because when Freddie Gray was alive, Al Sharpton probably wouldn't even shake his hand. You know, or anybody, or, or Martin O'Malley, or anyone else affiliated with any of these networks. So, you know, these, these are the things that... Um, we really, really, really need to expose now while we have so many people paying attention to us and push them to move forward. Thank you. I'm Zachary. I'm from uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And I was invited here by a good friend 
and uh, I came to Baltimore uh, to the uh, uh, IECA conference. I'm an educational consultant, a historian, and a storyteller. And I'm going to be very short because I came to say, this is damn good. <laughs> um, you know, um, I want to tell you that I've been all over this country since the crisis happened here in Baltimore. And Asheville held the visual for Baltimore every day during the crisis. There was somebody out there at that Confederate Vance Square, if you've been there. <laughs> Thank you. All right? Holding space for Baltimore. And I had to come to see. And I have just been immersed by this kind of gratitude, this digging in. I am creating a talk show, dialogue, cafe, getting America talking again, and diversity absent race and racism. Because we have to understand that there Racism is an ism, and there is some isms older than racism, and the oldest one we know, no, it is not capitalism, it is sexism. Racism is a very young science, but we have to deal with it, and seeing things like this just make my heart leap because that says we're going to win. It might be discouraging, but it's one thing that the powers that be cannot fight. It's one thing that they cannot win in, and this is why we're going to win. I don't get out there and protest. My last one was 1976. I don't get out there and burn anything down and go against their weapons because we will lose. But where are we going to win? An excuse expression is spirit. You cannot fight spirit. And the human spirit is going to win out. And I'll tell you when that's going to happen. And then I'm going to take my seat. When mama going to shake her ass. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Who was next? It's 4 o'clock. They haven't kicked us out yet. We can go on a little bit. We have to 4.30 actually. Right I think. Isn't that right, David? Right here. David? Where was the you were mm -hmm. you were next? Yes. So um, I moved here from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, and basically due to displacement, um, now I'm here uh, because um, as far as my research 
was concerned, Baltimore is the new Harlem. I believe that everything that that I've noticed, I mean, there's a lot of great things happening in Baltimore. And ironically, right when I got settled in, in Sandtown, up to an area two blocks from the CBS, which I, I actually saw when that CBS started smoking. And it was not when those youngsters, those youngsters were gone. I was out there. And, you and the, the police had that place around it. I mean, I mean, I have pictures, but I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's a mute point because it's already been blamed on the youngsters. That's not what I want to talk about. All I want to say is hmm. I, I thought I was a well-qualified, educated young man who would be able to come to Baltimore and really do some things you know, uh, for the community and, and make something happen. And I've been smacked in the face. You know, and it's kind of disheartening because I'm like, man, I, I mean, you know, I was, I was doing things in Little Rock, but there were roadblocks and glass ceilings, and I had reached my apex, and I couldn't go any higher, and so I'm like, well, I gotta go somewhere else. And so I'm here now, and I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep, keep hope alive, keep the spirit alive, but it's difficult, because like this young brother said, due to systemic policies, I have hit roadblocks here as a new, as a new person. I pay an astronomically high rent, and, and, and really, and, and I rent from a foreigner, um, the place that I'm renting, I mean, do, because I have a family, I had to get a, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom place. I really need a four-bedroom, two-bathroom place, because when my daughter comes to stay with me this summer, she has to share a room with her little brother. I mean, you know, it'd be nice if she had her own space if she is a teenager. But I cannot get a place, I mean, you cannot find decent housing, and I mean, I, I like the neighborhood I'm in. I mean, I'm everybody, all my neighbors around me, they're like, oh, why, why, you, why you move here? And I'm like, man, y'all don't know, y'all got it good. It's better than Little Rock. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I'm not a nerd here. I ride my bicycle around, and I'm not a nerd. I was a nerd back home to ride my bike around, you know. I mean, the, I just... I hear, you know, the, the race thing, yeah, I don't, I don't, I try to, you know, I try to have a blank mind <laughs> and, and enter all these things with a positive attitude, but it's really difficult because people see me differently than I see them, and that's not my fault, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not who planted these stereotypes, I'm not who created these, these racist policies, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, like, like the man said, the, our own president can't even address the needs of the black community. At the end of his second term. Yeah. So. He, can't even, he, can't, he, can't, he can't even say anything. So, 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 I, what, what, so, so what can I do? Because I'm just a regular old person that worked my butt off trying to be a, a, the best artist that I could possibly be. And, so and I want to meet you right where you are. I want to meet you right there because guess what? You from Little Rock, Arkansas. Do you know, do you know, I, I open, listen at this, I open up my history program with this question. I stunned the audience. You know what I asked them? In 1959, what city and what state graduated no students from any school? And no one in the room can answer. Can any of y'all answer that here? You stay right there. Don't say nothing. Can any of y'all answer? Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. 
I've been there to a conference. Little Rock has the best school system set up that they should be using all over the country. They took your public old buildings and turned the historic sites into educational schools. Private, not public. I met the gentleman who set your school system up at a conference in Richmond. And this is what I'm telling you. I'm glad you're here in Baltimore because this is what people need to understand. This is what we need to get. I'm, I'm trying to make people understand, Judy, in any system, anywhere you go, if you do not re-educate our communities, if you do not, I want y'all listening, y'all got to get this, if you do not redirect the language, oral and written, and if you do not apply every community person as a piece of the puzzle, we're going to be sitting here in this room like we've been sitting at the graveside of Dr. King since 1969. Like we came with the empowerment zone money in the 70s. Like we stepped over and broken barrel. But what, what does this young man do to that? So this young man right today, this is... I want to know what this young man does So today, so today... Let's be specific so we can be clear and then I can get an answer. Yeah. Because... I need a place for my family to stay. Okay. And and I'm I'm, I'm paying some crazy rent, and and I'm in the neighborhood. You know, I'm I'm in the neighborhood that is that has been adversely affected by redlining and all of these other policies mm -hmm. that that have taken place in Baltimore and and all around the country. And my thing is because you know because there's a there's a, a jacked up equity situation because. The people, I mean, if I wanted to buy a place, I mean, even in the neighborhood where I'm at, it's still $250,000. It's still $200,000. I can't afford that. What neighborhood are you in? Irregular income. Sorry. I never know what I'm going to make in the year. <laughs> what neighborhood are you yeah. in? I, I live, I live mm -hmm. right off Pennsylvania Avenue um, between Santana. Gold and, and Baker Street. Okay, okay. so so let, let, me, let me just say this real quick. Yeah. I'll talk to you out in the hallway. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that they do have vacant values. They also have what's called healthy, healthy, healthy neighborhoods, and they have initiatives where if you buy a house in one of the neighborhoods that they're trying to build up. There's a $25,000 grant that goes towards you. It's a forgivable loan. As long as you stay in that house for three years, you don't have to pay it back. Some of those homes do need extensive work, and you can't live in them while you, while you uh, work on it, but they do have homes that you can live in while you work in it. And I'm saying this because I've met so many people that live in these neighborhoods and they don't know anything about it. The people that are coming in to buy these homes with these grants come from neighborhoods that don't need it. And they're coming in, they're moving in, they're building up these neighborhoods and the people that are already there are getting misplaced, displaced. I got a whole apartment, the apartment complex that's right on the corner of Park and, Park and North Avenue. Had people full living in them within two months. It's boarded up. It's out. There's a fence around it. 
What happened to those people? You got a whole block full of vacants, and you got developers coming in, and they're building it up, and they're charging like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. The people that can afford to do to live in these houses don't want to come in that neighborhood, and the people that are willing to live in that neighborhood can't afford that. So I'm saying, if more people like you that are looking, that are working and looking, and they, as long as you go through the housing counseling, they will work with you that you can get in this house. Yeah, and and, and, and the real, pro, I'm, t- I'm telling you, real programs in the city. You may not, people don't get it, but like in Fort Station North, for instance, where I bought my house, I bought my house for five thousand bucks from the city, five thousand dollars. The skeleton was real good on it. You know, the windows were a little bit creaky, but you know, I, I, the skeleton was good. They, the city worked with me. Like I didn't have to. You don't have to show a ton of money to to, to purchase these homes. You just have to show that you can fix them up. Right, so it, even if you're doing it yourself, you can put a financial value on the work that you do. So you can buy, and the, and the city right now has stopped. They own thousands, thousands of homes in the city that you can purchase, and you don't have to purchase them in the worst areas of the city. They have stuff all over the city that they're selling right now. Like I got into my house, fixed it up. Two two years it took me to fix it up. I could have gotten inspections done before that and lived in it. But you can buy you can buy properties in the in the city right now for next to nothing. Like I own my house free and clear right now, and it's not because I'm a Rockefeller. Yeah, you know, just it, it's not. You know, so so we can talk at the end of it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do to get properties in this city right now and not have to um, look for five hundred thousand dollar loans to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Good. One more comment or question. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming. I really appreciate that. You have Facebook, right? You have Facebook, right? Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to get a Facebook soon. Okay. The, the desire of this movie is to provoke conversations. And so if you know of some place that might be willing or able to sponsor a showing or viewing and screening and conversation... Uh, let me know. Yeah. It's uh, on the postcard. There's the email address, and there's uh, my personal um, email address is on the table as well. There's also a sign-up list where we'll add people to our ongoing email list if you want to continue to be a part of the conversation. The goal is to continue the conversation yeah. and to move the conversation forward. But first, people have to be able to ventilate and talk about where they are and what they've experienced, and I understand that. But I'm really interested in how we address these systemic problems and begin to look at the solutions. And uh, I think we, we, we need to talk about what we desire as individuals and as groups of people. I think we are, need to articulate that and we need to be able to have conversations where conflict is an invitation and that we can have a conversation like this with a variety of kinds of people where we can begin to, to move forward. But I understand the need for, for dealing with where we're at. But I am very curious, and I think that language and images are very important as one of the points in the movie in the sense of that I think that's the real enemy. In order not to create an enemy, I'm going to see the enemy as the language and the images we co-create. And I'm going to do my best to confront the, that language and to create, confront those images on a daily basis, and I also see that as part of the, the what the people, people on the panel have been trying to do. And so I'm going to give you each one minute if you'd like to say something to wrap this up. And again, thank everybody for coming and participating. 
And you can buy a copy of the movie if you like <laughs> as well. We have some outside. Yeah. How much you want to pay? <laughs> we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very it? much. Okay. How much is it? Okay. You have a minute. Um, I'm just telling you, I'm grandmother Edna. I've been in Baltimore. Baltimore's not my home. And in a minute, just to throw this out here, my family was a part ownership of Glenelg Martin's military air base in Baltimore County in the 40s and the 50s. My grandfather, Vox Preston. My answer to this gentrification not project is to communities need to re-educate the community. We need to redirect the language of identity written and all, and we need to all feel like we are a piece of that community puzzle. No matter what community you're in, it's valueless to me. I don't care about Roland Park to um, Pigtown. I don't care. Whatever community you're in, you need to feel like you are a vital stakeholder in the daily operations of that community. The schools, the businesses, the social events, you need to become a stakeholder. Yeah. You need that, that, that's my information. That's, that's how I feel. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go next. One before I do my piece, what I would like to do is to, to, to share um, uh, our social media with you, like um, all of us, so that you can keep track of what it is that we're doing. So I'm at, um, if you look up on Facebook and into Ignorance, it's the only one that's there. You can find me there. And then on Twitter, it's ending it now on Twitter. And if you want to share yours, and then I'll get to my minute. So you want to share yours? I just simply go as Griot Grandmother Edna. You can Google Griot Grandmother Edna Lawrence, and all my information will come up. I tell people all the time to meet me on the net. I will give you a flyer if you want it. But it's real simple. Just Google me and meet me. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter um, at D Watkins World. Okay. Good. So you'll have a way to. to, to Keep track of what it is that we're doing out here. One, um, my, what I'm doing in the city right now is, so race is up for me right now. Like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life engaging race. I agree with Dee that we're not going to change everything in this lifetime, but I'd be damned if something ain't going to change before I die. Something's going to change. So that's what my life is about right now, is actually engaging race and having people do something about it to shift the world so that we don't have people growing up. I, I, I didn't know that I was black until I was seven. It was the day that Martin Luther King was shot. It's a horrible way to have kids be indoctrinated into this racial caste system that we have, and I want that to end. And so I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure that I do everything that I can do to have it end in the spaces that I'm in. So, um, so, that, so in the city, I started having race conversations at my house. And very mixed group of people that come into my house, 12, 15 people. It got to 20, and I was like, okay, we got to get out of here. <laughs> we got to go somewhere else. And we, uh, the last conversation I had was there were 50 people who showed up at that last conversation. I don't know if you all know a space called the 2640 space. Yeah. On the 27th of June, I'm 
working right now to have hundreds of people from different corners of the city come together to start talking about race and engaging race at that meeting and doing it in a very peaceful way. I'm an organization development consultant by trade, so I'm managing the conversation so we can actually get in and hear each other's voices hear each other. So that's what I'm, what I'm doing. I, I will put stuff on my Facebook page so you'll know when stuff is happening. The 20, 27th of June, we'll be having that. And I'll be actually walking through demonstrations so you can see how to successfully walk people through conversations around race. Okay. And I really appreciate all of you for giving me the space to have a voice in here, too. Appreciate it a lot. You know, in the end, as black people and white people and Asians or, you know, whatever anyone is, we all need to just acknowledge the systemic problems that exist and then think about how we can change them. Because, you know, there's a lot of people right now who think that um, the six cops who participated in the murder of Freddie Gray being charged is, is enough, right? And even if they're fired, that's not enough. There's a system that's producing... Thousands of cops just like them all over, you know, the country every day. So we need to just not be scared to talk about race or class or, or any or any of the factors that allow these systems to allow these systems to exist. And we just need to figure out what we can do to attack them aggressively. So, you know, my thing is writing and, 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 and literacy and, and, and putting out material and organizing and teaching the skill of journalism. Some people. Um, Coach. Some people do things in fitness. Some people educate in the public school system, or whatever. Whatever your talent is, or whatever you're good at, use your talent, achieve mastery, and then figure out a way to attack the the larger systemic issues. And then we will see, you know, some some type of change. And in the end, I just like to say, um, in the words of Maya Angelou, when you get give, when you learn, teach. Thank you all. Thank you very much. And thank you.